0: Welcome to the Paragold Podcast, this is Jared Pitney, and today I'm joined by Jennifer Tarwater of In His Wings Ministry. Jennifer, thanks so much for coming on.
1: Absolutely, thank you for having me. Yeah, it was
0: great getting our picture made by the probation office just now. Did that make you a little nervous? It
1: was fun. It was, <laughs> it was, fun. Just, it was just fun. It
0: was fun. So, the first time I met you, you were at the Agape House. Um guess that was probably like 11 years ago, something like that, or 10 years ago. And uh, I've been able to keep up with you on and off over the years. I'm just so proud of the work that you're doing. It's really incredible um, how God has been using you. I felt like to bless so many people. And so it's great to have you come on. You know, I to be honest, I don't know a whole lot about your story. Um, so I'd love to start there, just to hear a little bit from you about where you came from and kind of how you ended up in the Agape house and then eventually into leading uh, such an incredible ministry like in His Wing ministry.
1: Sure. I'd love to share that with you. So we did uh, meet back in 2013. So January 9th of 2013 is when I went to the Agape house. And of course, this coming January 2023 will be 10 years of sobriety and a life change of God radically changing my life. Awesome. So, um, what it was like before the Agape House. So, the Agape House is a four-month in-house program, four-month outpatient program. And before I went there, my life was in total disarray. It was, I was dealing with self-rejection. I was dealing with um, identity crisis is the biggest thing. Um, I knew Jesus, and I knew what he did on the cross, but I did not know um, a relationship. Mm. So that relationship is where um, God just showed up in my life and began to change who I had always been. So I was raised in a good home. My I was in church all of my life. I went to Awana's church camp in the summer, church camp in oh, the winter. Wow. And where I, was home? In Michigan. Okay. So I am originally from Flint, Michigan. I moved hey, that's to— That's where my dad's from. Really? Come on. That's a good place. I, you, I don't know about I mean, that, but yeah. that's where he's from. I mean, it was then. <laughs> okay, excellent. <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> they had a lot of jobs there, evidently, way back mm-hmm. back before I was born. So that's kind of how we all get from Arkansas to, to uh, Michigan and then back to Arkansas, you know. Mm-hmm. So I grew up um, going to Awanas. I went to church camp in the summer, church camp in the wintertime. I, my grandparents were song leaders, Sunday school teachers. Oh, wow. um, deacons of the church and um all kinds of things and that's how I grew up and you know what about those portraits back in the day you know the Olin
0: Mills, y- Olin Mills?
1: <laughs> yeah sorry. that's what I think of when I think of my grandparents of the church but yeah, yeah. this
0: is a first <laughs> no one's ever brought up Olin Mills on this podcast ever <laughs> we in, the, in the over a year and a half that we've talked <laughs> got about him a plug. we should <laughs> see if we can get Olin Mills to do the photos <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see what that picture would look like as opposed to what we had Totally yeah. different backdrop for sure.
1: Yeah. The wooden, you know, perforated, you know. Yeah. yeah. No
0: wonder you had identity issues. Yeah,
1: right. I know. <laughs> Big hair and everything. So,
0: So this is what years like. A, yeah, as a child,
1: was, that's what I was doing. Okay. You're talking about
0: like in the, the 80s, 90s?
1: 70s, 80s. I'm, okay. really, I'm really old. You don't look it. I am old. Okay. I mean, I'll just be honest. I'm 50.
0: Really? Yes. You don't look it. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, the 70s, 80s. You were an 80s kid. Yeah. Yeah. Were you a teenager in the 80s? Yes. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> All right. I can't yeah. wait to hear about your uh, favorite bands here in a little bit.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I was really scared of heavy metal because of the... It's
0: the devil's music?
1: Yes. Yeah. I mean, they had a, a label for every rock band you know, whatever their initials were, you know, the Baptists, they had a label. Knights in
0: Satan's service.
1: Yeah, right. That's right. one, right? King. Yeah, King. Yeah. that's exactly what I thought of. And against Christ, devil's child was ACDC. Hey, and- <laughs>
0: listen, my true story, and if I'd known this was part of your story, I'd have brought the book with me. <laughs> my dad got me a book whenever I was, mm, I don't know, 9, 10. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's called uh, Dancing with Demons. Oh. And it had, uh, I guess it was Lucifer on the front page. And then there was like a bunch of rockers around a fire uh, rocking out. They didn't realize that they were going to hell because this music they're listening to. You know, that was the whole idea. But like Amy Grant was in there. Oh, yeah. I mean, it yep, was like I all this. I mean, you listen to this stuff, you're going down. Yep. What's interesting <laughs> is about six months after my dad got that book, he bought me a Beach Boys uh, cassette tape. So apparently the Beach Boys were good. They were good. They were legit, but a lot of other stuff wasn't. So anyways. Are you saying the same you still good. have that book? I absolutely still have the book. <laughs> I, I do. Sometimes when I am bored for entertainment, I will literally pull it out and just look and be like, wow, like, hmm, yeah. okay. <laughs> I didn't know Michael W. Smith was such a bad guy. <laughs> but like Christian Rock was also a big no-no. So
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's only gospel. Man,
0: okay. So we really have a whole the page- therapy session, We really could,
1: I. yeah. So I, that's how I was brought up. I was brought up in church. I didn't know anything um, about a relationship. I just knew, you know, the gospel, the simple gospel, mm-hmm. and that was what was going to save you, and that's all you needed to know. And I think back about those times, and I think, well, did the elders in the church and like The 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds, did they have relationships or were they still just stuck on the simple gospel Mm. of just what it is? And um, so I don't know. But today, my life, because of my commitment to want to change and this moment that I had at the Agape house in the closet by myself, you know, I think that's scriptural to go there. But, you know, I went in that closet one day after a class and I say, God, I need you to change my life. I don't know. I've always known you. But I don't know if I've ever committed my life, committed my life completely to you, but today I do that, and I just want to leave this program differently than I came in. And so, I was in that program for four months, and I left, and I had a job, and. Um, my jobs just increased. I started with a small thing, a small job, and my jobs have just increased since then.
0: How did you land in the Agape House? Like, So you're in Michigan. Mm-hmm. like, oh. yeah? Bridge the gap between Michigan and lis- not listening to heavy metal music and getting to the Agape House.
1: Yeah, it was like the Mackinac Bridge, actually. It wasn't just a gap. So when I was 19, I moved to Arkansas to be with my grandparents. They had retired, and they had moved here, so I moved here. And then in that time from 19 until I went to the coffee house at the age of 39, okay. I had three kids. I had Hodgkin's disease. I had lymphoma. Really? I had, yeah.
0: Listen, <laughs> I'm sorry to stop you, but my dad had Hodgkin's lymphoma.
1: Yeah, and then remember- Flint, Michigan.
0: Hodgkin's lymphoma. Something's going on. Something's going on.
1: And then I had the, you know, and since then, let me remind you, I was coming to church here when I had the facial surgery and I had the skin cancer and one of your relatives had that also. Yeah, my mom. Your mom. That's right. So yeah, we have some, I wonder if we're related.
0: I think we are. (laughs) So, so you're 19, you moved to Arkansas, Mm -hmm. you have kids, you Get diagnosed with cancer I did at the that's age big, of 28. 28? That's a big deal. It is. And is I wasn't even serving. Scary God. at the time.
1: It wasn't. I wasn't even thinking twice about it. You weren't? No.
0: So, what were you into at that point? Like, came about like, what was Just, Jennifer? Who was Jennifer Tarwater at that point?
1: I was um, working at a debt collection agency. I was like the number one debt collector. Sad to say, but I was. And I was living life. I was leading the team there. I was. Just doing life, taking care of my kids. My third child, I was carrying, I guess I was carrying Hodgkin's disease at the same time. And then um, after I had her, then I guess everything kind of speeds up in the woman's body after you have a child And that kind of sped up the Hodgkin's disease. And then um, just had a raised area in my neck, mm-hmm. had it biopsied. And then boom, it was. That. it was after that. And then I was doing the chemo, lost the hair, everything at the age of Jeez. 28.
0: How does that, and, how did that impact you? At that time? Like, can you look back and see how, like,
1: I think that I had a really, really good support system and I really wasn't paying attention to what was going on. Um, I wasn't pressing into God. Wasn't, I was just like, you weren't okay, following is- Jesus then? I was, absolutely not. I was not. So I was what still were you trying to go to the bars. To the bar. Okay. Going to the bar and, and dropping the kids off at my grandparents and going out and drinking on the weekends. But I couldn't do that because on Fridays I did the chemo treatment and on Monday I went back to work. And so during that six months of chemo, I wasn't doing anything. But where it all shows up is, you know, I now know a little bit about behavioral health, mental health, Uh and things like that. And we can talk about that in a little bit. But um, I can look back and see that that probably traumatized me from the cancer because then at the same time, my daughter was disabled. She had five brain surgeries in the same time that I was doing chemo. And so during all of that, you know, I remember my grandfather anointing my daughter Kelsey um, in the living room at his house, and I and I'm praying with him, and I'm believing like he's believing, but I wasn't serving God. But the whole time, God had a plan. Um, but then, like I said, that happened when I was 28, and about the age of 29, um, I started using meth, and then so um, how did lost- it
0: t- explain to me? Okay, mm-hmm. so. Some people that listen to this will be very familiar with addiction. Mm -hmm. Some will not at all. Okay. So from an insider perspective, how do you get there? Like for you personally, how did you get to that place? Because nobody just wakes up right one day is like, (laughs) I'm going to start doing meth just for the heck of it. Like what was that digression like for you? What were the steps to get into that place? Have you thought about that?
1: I've never really thought about that. Um, I remember the first time that I used. I, I had always been around people that had, probably smoked weed okay. and stuff. And did you so start that in teenage new? years. Yeah, party partying. Okay, yeah. teenage years you're partying. Absolutely.
0: Like alcohol, drugs in teenage years or mm-hmm.
1: no? Yes, just alcohol and drugs.
0: <clears throat> How did you introduce to that?
1: You know, I look back at that at that, and I look, and when I teach about that, I teach about. From my standpoint, and I really think it was to be accepted because I had some home issues, Mm, you know, they weren't traumatic, um, but I had some home issues. My mom had me at a really young age and I think it was just acceptance. Everybody else is doing it. I can get them to like me if I do that. Was not really around anybody else? So Mm -hmm. those people, there always used to be a lot of people. So if I could hang out with them, I would have friends and they're doing those things. So I can do those things
0: too. Yeah. And what you're talking about, I think is something important to mention is like, you're longing for acceptance. Anybody's longing for acceptance is not a bad thing. It's actually a God thing. Like God made us to, he made us for community. Like there's, we all, we all long to be known to be long and be loved. And if you're a teenager, your brain's not fully developed yet. Our hormones are starting to go crazy at this point. If they're not a lot of connection in the home, um, we definitely are going to go look for it somewhere else. Even if there is a lot of connection in the home, you're still at times, you're, you're kind of pulling away from parents, you're going more and more towards peers and friends, and the problem is not that we're looking for acceptance, but the problem is sometimes what we're willing to do in order to get it. And in your place, you were saying, I was willing to, at least at that point, dabble in alcohol and, and even some drugs Yep. in order I to agree. fit in. Mm-hmm. Okay. And at that point, is it manageable? Or did it quickly spin out of control to where it became an addiction?
1: It became continuous, yes. The smoke of marijuana became an addiction. In your teens? Yeah. hmm Okay. And then it just carried it all the way until 2013.
0: But at that point, you're like, not a lot of trouble? With like, I mean, you're still able to pull off a job. Oh, absolutely. You're functioning. hmm Okay.
1: But when I when I finished that cancer, those cancer treatments, and I would just had people over at my house, and they're like, hey, just try this. And I was like, I don't think I better try that. And then it just, you know, you're at the barbershop long enough, you're going to get your hair cut. If all the people you hang, I always tell the girls, if you hang around people who have their hair colored all the time, purple and green, the colors of the rainbow, you'll eventually end up getting yours colored. Sure. And so I think that's just where I fell in the trap or I was. I made myself available to fall in the trap.
0: 100%. Um, I've shared this before, but my dad used to say, you know, you show me the the people you're running with, and I'll show you this way. He'd say to me, I'll show you either the man you are or the man you will become. Absolutely. You know, and, I, and I didn't believe that at the time, but like, man, the people we surround ourselves, I don't know if I'd say it's everything, but it's pretty close to it.
1: I agree. I agree with so that. So
0: you are being exposed to myth before you ever tried it yourself. True. So you're starting to see it. You're getting a little bit more, even maybe desensitized to it. Like at first, maybe there was this deal where it's like meth. Oh my god, like no, thank you. But you're around it enough, you're like, yeah, okay, it's not that bad, maybe. But then eventually, you get into like, oh, I'll, I'll give it a shot.
1: Yeah, I really don't know. I remember the first time it had been around me a few times, those same certain people. But when it showed up that one day, I mean, I can see it right now, just thinking about it. When it when it all went down, when the girl offered it to me, I mean, I was 29 years old. Who does that at the age of 29, you know, the 28, 29. And, um, and then it was, it was over after that. And it literally took everything from me, when everything. You,
0: what do you mean by that?
1: What do I mean by everything? Yeah. As progressively and very quickly, it took my vehicle. It took my children. It took the house that I had just bought two years before, um, and then within a year, not quite 18 months, I was on my way to prison for the first time.
0: Wow. Very quick. So you lost a lot. What was the reward? Like, what is the reward that meth gave you, even if it was for a second? Because it, there's always a reward somewhere, even if it's for fleeting. Um, what was that? Because you clearly, I'm guessing when you're in it, you can tell you're losing stuff, right? Like, you know, I mean, I'm guessing. I'm not. You being, don't really know. So it, you're that
1: just out of your mind, yeah, yeah. out of touch of reality that you don't even realize you see everything falling apart and you just go deeper and deeper and deeper. And there's really, in my opinion, there's no way to get out until you're willing to get out.
0: Is it because you're doing so much dope or whatever it is, that it's like, you don't even, you, you literally can't even feel what you need to feel. So like people that are maybe losing their kids, losing their job, it's like, a person who's in their sober mind is like, oh my God, like this is, I'm wrecked. But like if you're high all the time or whatever, mm-hmm. it's like you're not even able to, your body literally doesn't even allow you to go to that place. Is that part of it?
1: I think it just becomes quickly a lifestyle. You know, I was, I was a single mom. Mm-hmm. I owned my house, or mortgage, whatever, sure. owned my house, Sure, had my car, had a really good job. And that... Life, those people in that lifestyle just magnetize to that because they have nothing, so they magnetize to that, and then I'm caught up in it almost like a whirlwind, and then it just spews everything out, and everything's gone before you know it, and then you don't know how to get yourself out of it.
0: Jeez, so how old were you when you went to prison?
1: I was. I turned thirty in jail on my way to prison for the first time.
0: Oh my gosh! So how, how? What? How did you get in prison? Did you get like just possession I,
1: and manufacturing charge.
0: A manu- so you got into manufacturing.
1: Yes, I was just, I'm really loyal to what I do.
0: <laughs> yeah. so, you're going to go all in. All in. <laughs> so tell me, what was the process of, of moving to that place? Like, was there any at that point, like, because that feels like to me, and, and I know like Steve is the same way with other people mm-hmm. on, it's like they get to that point. Like, that feels like a whole other level, like mm-hmm. a, whole, a much higher risk at that point. Like, it
1: is. But you're caught up in that lifestyle. And so I went to prison for the first time, and I went for 18 months. And I paroled to my grandparents and uh, they've always been my safe place. So I paroled to my grandparents and within 30 days, I'm using again, I'm bored. I don't, I, you know, at that time, so that was what, 20 years ago, maybe uh, 20, Mm -hmm. you know, sometime like that anyways. So at that time. I just didn't know what resources were out there to get another job because I felt like my life was ruined. But I had missed all of those people while the time I was locked up. They didn't miss me. They never quit doing what they were doing or they didn't send money in jail or prison. Mm. They didn't write letters or anything. But So I started calling them, and boom, I'm back in the lifestyle again. Prison second time. Get out. And that second time I went for almost a year. And then um, no hope of getting my children back no hope of getting my children back the first time when I lost them my mother had them my mother-in-law had them or ex-mother-in-law um but then I get out the second time and they put me in drug court for another time I just could not stop getting in trouble I just I could have if I would have made different choices but that always seemed like the easiest way to go it was more familiar I had made myself more familiar with that yeah than I had remembered what my life was like before meth but see the deal is is that my life before meth wasn't really that good I had a good job had a really good job had my vehicle had the house all those things but I was still missing something and I can look back now and think I was just missing who I was I was trying to find my identity and other people and other things and then I just kept then when I went to prison it was like oh my gosh now I'm just one of them people And, uh, then it becomes a whole new identity, (laughs) a whole different identity. And then it just, yeah, that's a good way to put it Another identity. So now I've got another label on me and a label that I'm going
0: to be a criminal. I'm going to be the best one I can be or whatever. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, the the judge asked me one time, he said, were you trying to be Bonnie and Clyde or, um, I can't remember the other people said Bonnie and Clyde or somebody. And I was like, neither one, sir.
0: (laughs) Who? Yeah. Who would you have said, and you might not have uh, thought this deeply about it, who if you can go back to that day, like who did Jennifer Tarwater think that she was? Like, where? I don't think I had a clue. Really?
1: Absolutely not. And it's so sad. And that's why I do what I do today because people, I can look back at myself and think, my goodness. Like I just had no ho- How I, how I am today, how I feel about myself today and the confidence, not in me, like in a, um, not a, arrogant confidence, mm-hmm. just a confidence in that I'm, it's okay to be me mm-hmm. is different today. I wish I would have known this years ago. I wish I would have known this when I was 20. But I went through all of that just so you and I could sit here today to talk about it, yeah. to give somebody else hope.
0: Well, that, that identity piece is huge. And I'd be lying if I said that I always felt like I lived in light of my true identity. Obviously, we're both Christians. Not everybody listening to this is. But right. it's like we believe... Um, you know, our faith says that we are who God says that we are, you right. know, and even as a pastor, there's times where I really struggle to believe that. And I had someone actually, a lady on our staff about three or four weeks ago even came up to me and she was like, I'm praying that you will begin to see yourself as God sees you. And because there's still times where I struggle, even sure. today, me as too. a 39 year old man with a master's in theology, and, and um, I preach you know, regularly, and um. I believe that, man, when your identity, if you lose who you are, truly who you are, like, things go haywire quickly. Like, mm-hmm. you can self-destruct pretty quickly. Like, whoever you think you are, like, you're going to live into that reality. And so you're just hitting on something that I think is is huge. You're um, making
1: me think, too.
0: Well, <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's just kind of like, yeah, it's, and, and it's it's why community is so important whether it's a faith community or, or whatever you're part of, like you need people in your life to tell you who you are when, and again, it depends on where you are spiritually, whether it's, you think it's the devil or just mm-hmm. the voices in your head or society, there's all these competing voices that are telling you, this is who you are and you need people in your life. that can tell you like, no, this is who you really are. You know, even when you don't feel like it, because Madam. that's powerful. Yeah. So you go into, you said prison three times,
1: three times.
0: Uh, every time you come out, are you like, I'm? I'm changing my life?
1: Mm. Well, anybody listening to this podcast that has been to jail or prison can relate to this, to the following. And that is while you are locked up, you make a lot of promises, you make a lot of promises to yourself and to your family and to your loved ones.
0: And do you mean them at the time? Oh,
1: Absolutely absolutely. I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to talk to him. I'm never going to talk to her. I'm going to do things right. I'm going to get a job and Mm. I'm going to help you pay the bills. I'm going to pay back everything that I stole from you. (laughs) I'm going to pay back everything that I borrowed from you. And that's just unrealistic expectations on yourself. So you set yourself up before you ever get out. And your family is really hopeful, super hopeful, but we just set ourselves up. And so, you know, that's one thing of, That's why I have a passion for people coming out of prison and coming out of jail. I really want to see them get help to not go back to what sent them to prison and jail.
0: Yeah. So how did that change for you? Like, where was the point where you were like, I'm done. I'm going to the Agape house.
1: (laughs) So the third time that I went to prison was because I was um, kicked out of drug court. So I went to drug court in, in Jonesboro, and I could not even make it through there. I used while I was in there. I so, sober for a few months, and then I used, thought I could make it through the holiday weekend. Anybody listening to this knows about drug court has probably thought the same thing. So I thought I could make it, and I didn't. They caught me up, and they locked me up right then because I'd already used once before, and I had um, told them that I could do it. I didn't need to go to rehab. So I didn't really know anything about rehab before. I wish somebody would have told me the first time I went to prison what I went. I don't know. But I know that when I got caught up in drug court, I said, I don't need rehab. It felt like another prison term to me. Mm. So I didn't go to rehab. When I did get caught using drugs again, they um, locked me up, went to prison. I stayed in jail for a long time. And then I went to Newport and was over there for about 60 days and came back out. Crazy thing is, I came back out, I lasted a few months, and then I caught more charges. So, it's the most ridiculous lifestyle. So, that happened on April Fool's Day. Just
0: couldn't get out of the mess.
1: I just, I went home and um, I just wanted, I, I thought that things were going to be different, um, but they weren't when I came home.
0: When you were sober for these brief moments, what drove you back to the drug? Was it... Was I, it some pain in your life that you're like trying to numb the pain? No, like,
1: I have no just idea. Just Straight up addiction. Just, like, just I don't straight know stupidity. What it is, it's just
0: my yeah.
1: <laughs> just straight up stupidity is what I think it was.
0: Because
1: mm. I look back and I'm like, what are you? What were you doing? Why did you just keep doing that? Yeah. So can't go back and change it now. Sure, but yeah. when I went to the Agape House, so my husband um, was in a program as well, and I was going to his meetings and going to church services and stuff. And he was telling me about, telling me about this rehab. And I said, okay, so I went to that rehab to a few meetings, which you had to do in order to come to that program. And I just woke up on um, January 9th and I was so broken. I can still, I can still see it at my grandpa's house. My grandmother had already passed by then, but I was at my grandfather's house in my room at his house and window was cracked. The Rooster was crowing, oddly enough, and mm-hmm. uh, and it was just time. And I called Sunny, and I just uh, she's the director of that program. And I said, listen, I need to come today. And she said, have you got high today? And I said, not today. I haven't. I mean, I just woke up. Mm-hmm. Finally went to sleep.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> not yet.
1: <laughs> yeah. She said, okay, will you be here by 10 o'clock? And I had to find me a ride. My ride that uh, took me up there, he dropped me off. He said, don't call me because I'm not coming back to get you. And I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea what was going to happen in my life.
0: Were you scared at that point?
1: I just, you know, I can look back and think I just didn't know what was going on. I just knew that I didn't want to live like I was living yeah. at the bottom of the pit. I wasn't made for that. Yeah. I wasn't raised like that. Um, I knew that I didn't want to take anything else from my grandfather. I didn't want to take his car out anymore and not bring it back when he wanted me to and him to have to go without. Of, You know, he didn't deserve that. He didn't deserve any of that, neither did my grandmother. But, um, you know, I... Uh, i just taken. I'd been a taker for so long for my family, and I, mm. just that day, you know, oddly enough, I was out in this field. <laughs> I was out in this field in December, but in 2012, and I was by myself. And I heard someone call my name, and I know anybody. You're gonna think this is crazy, but it's a true story. Mm-hmm. And I heard somebody just say Jennifer, and I looked around. I thought I'm about to go to jail. It is over. I'm going to jail, and I was already out on a bond. I thought, this is it. I'm going to jail. So there's nobody out there. I made it back down through the field into my grandpa's car, and I got in it, and I drove home. And really think that's when God called my name mm-hmm. because there wasn't anybody out there. And I was never one to just be so high that mm-hmm. um, I would hear, like, voices mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. That just wasn't me. Mm-hmm. But that was an audible moment that really scared the crap out of me, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And yes. then... Um, but it wasn't January 9th and then i called sunny that morning and um i just showed up there with no expectations no agenda yet <laughs>
0: <laughs> this was yeah before you gave her the list of this things this is before the free. list
1: <laughs> <laughs> no agenda yet and uh and i just went there and um you know sunny was tough on me but i stayed there i wasn't leaving i didn't you know I just stayed and I stayed and God began to work with my obedience of mm. just being there. Mm. You know, and for somebody listening that's maybe not a believer, you know, just in obedience, there is a way to make a move in your life of being obedient to what the law is or mm. the rules are. And there were rules there in that program. And I just went there and I told them yes, I would follow their rules and I did that.
0: Mm. So you're there impatient four months and then yes. out four months. Yes. Um did you know coming out of that that you wanted to start a rehab? Uh, was that the plan? Like well, somewhere in the middle, like God kind of gave you that?
1: People always ask me that, and I don't know if it was right then. I wanted to work there. You know, so I couldn't be a house mom. I couldn't be a room captain. I never got to be anything there but just a resident. <laughs> <laughs> just Poor, pitiful man. I never got to be anything. But, uh, you know, that's okay. Um I know how I can see that and I can use those moments of just like that of why, why and see that I can use that with my people now um, in my program. But mm-hmm. the, um, I didn't know that. I didn't know if I, what I wanted to do. I just know that I can look back on my life and my mom has always told me, you can't take care of everybody. You can't save the world. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. God put something in my heart. Now That's I'm right. going to just be able to help people now. And I don't even. That's just it. I I had no idea, no agenda. Um, I just went to work at my job every day. You know, and honestly, let's just be real about it. I was 40 years old at the Agape House in rehab and had no idea where I was going. And you have to get a job there about six, eight weeks after you're there. And I went to work at McDonald's. McDonald's was in the Walmart and um, in the Walmart up here in Paragold. And I started working there. And it just progressed from there. All I wanted to do was work in the office at ARI in Marmaduke. Like, mm-hmm. that was my major life goal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, but I had some other jobs. I actually worked right across the street from here in the bookkeeping department. I was not supposed to work there because of my uh, criminal background, but the lady gave me a chance. And that was an eye-opener for me. And I just progressively got better and better jobs yeah. after that.
0: It seems like, and I could be wrong, but it seems like just listening to your story that, um, that there had to be, like, it, again, this is my faith speaking. This is my perspective, but um, this is kind of fresh in my mind because I was just talking about this about Sunday. But like, the really the one thing that will keep God from using someone greatly is pride, and so it's like he, we have to learn how to silence our ego. Um, kind of the false self, so to speak, and and mm-hmm. truly be come to a place of of Jesus, right? Those who humble themselves will be exalted, and those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And it seems like not getting the position of like you know a, whatever you call it a, a room, room captain, room captain, or yeah. whatever, working in McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Uh, those were as a forty year old woman, humbling experiences, you know. And it feels like if those are painful experiences at the time, but there's something beautiful about whenever God brings us to this place where we can just say, okay, God, like, you're it. Like, I don't, like, you've kind of stripped me of these false identities that mm-hmm. I have that I was clinging to for satisfaction and security and significance, and now all I have is really you. Mm-hmm. And then it's like at that point, it's like, okay, like, now I can do something with you. Right. Which seems like is what God's done in your life.
1: He's made some big moves.
0: And so tell me about this ministry in his wings. Um okay how did that get started? And tell me about just the, the ministry.
1: Okay. So, um, completed that program over there, 2000, actually at the end of 2013. And and let me just tell you another thing. She didn't let me graduate till 2014 either. So
0: ah, she made me, I really you kept was, telling her how to run her program. I know,
1: Right. So, um, that was in 2014 and I've had some other jobs. I actually was asked to, to, um, I have a passion for helping people. I was leading a small group called overcomers Mm -hmm. and I led that for a couple of years and then had a ministry reach out to me and say, Hey, would you come over here and be the director? But I was working at the newspaper then. And I said, sure, I'll try to do that. That didn't quite work out. And I just kind of handed the reins back over to them and said, this isn't going to work. And, uh, the men's ministry, the program that my husband was in, they needed some help over there. And so I went to work over there it was, having a great time. And, um, God just put a vision in my heart and, um, to start my own ministry to help women. I had no idea what it was going to look like. And honestly, if I, if I'm being honest, Jared, i called around to other ministries to ask how you could get it started. Sunny was so kind. She said, you can start one under the agape house. And I thought, Oh, this is great. This is what's going to happen. You know, I'm Mm going to be under her, what I've always Mm -hmm. wanted to do, Mm -hmm. but God just showed up differently. And, um, in conversation with my father-in-law, he said, how much money does it take to get that started? And um, I said, I don't know, the paperwork's $500. He wrote me a check for $1,000, mm. and I have declared a double portion ever since that day. Mm. And then a couple of friends of mine, Jarrett Holiday and um, the bar horse and Russo's, we just kind of rallied together um, and began just talking about In His Wings. Uh, we didn't actually we didn't have a name then. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even tell you the name yet. I just kinda rolled into that. But um I was having visions of how that went down. Sorry. Um That's left good. the building for a minute. Yeah,
0: that was fantastic. <laughs> we were with you.
1: Uh, okay, thanks. Um but I started, you know, saying, Hey, this is what I want to do. I like to do a six month program to help women and we will help them get a job and we'll do all of the things and they were like, Okay, and so these like-minded people. We all got together and um, then they said, well, you need a name. And I said, okay, I will to pray about a name. And I said, for long. I really like wings. And then in his wings come up mm. and I thought, well, is in his wings scriptural? Mm. You know? And so I thought I'm going to have to <laughs> investigate this a little bit, you know? And so everybody goes back to Psalms 91, you know, and mm. that's where he, like, no, that's probably, that's where it comes from, you know, mm. but that's not our life scripture over that over in his wings. It's one that I learned in overcomers. And so I declared a scripture over it mm. called in his wings. They agreed to it. And then we got this Superfly logo. Yeah, um, I love this logo. And uh, Jared Holiday, he's the one who kind of um, hooked me up with the guy to get the logo. And um, just declared, you know, the ver- our life verse over there is First Peter 5.10. And it's, um, and after you've suffered a little while, the God of mm-hmm. all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will himself restore, mm-hmm. confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And those four things is really what the broken and the hurting need to happen for them. They need those things. They need to be confirmed, restored, um, and established and strengthened. They need all of those things to happen in their life. My passion is to help women overcome addiction and become the mothers that God intended for them to be, Mm. be the women that God intended for them to be. And I have a great, big passion for that. Um, So we all got together, and we are actually a nine-month program versus a six-month program, and... um, we started out with 12 women, went to 18 women. Then we had 24 women. And then the Arkansas Department of Corrections showed up. And they said, hey, we would like for you to run our reentry program. So, you know, I have a history. Remember, I've been to prison yeah, three times. Yeah. So now the prison system came to me. I didn't ask. And they right. came to me and they said, we'd like for you to run our reentry program. And I said, uh, you better check this girl's background. <laughs> and they said, we already have. And I said, okay.
0: So it makes you qualified. Yeah, Yeah, yeah.
1: absolutely. So um, they allow me to host 12 women um, in our reentry program. And we moved our 24 women out of Craighead County, put them in Greene County, and moved reentry with ACC, Arkansas Community Corrections, is what reentry is labeled under, um, put them in our Jonesboro house. Got up there. We outgrew the house in Greene County outgrew both of our houses in Greene County and uh now we're back in Cricket County. <laughs>
0: yeah, hey, look at you.
1: <laughs> and uh so right now, um in four years, in a total of four houses, we have fifty seven women in our program right now. Wow, um, know every one of them by name. And um I love what I get to do. I love what I get to do. So mm-hmm. our program is a little unique and um I think it's unique. Maybe it's not unique. I think it is. So um, in the first four to six months, um, you just you program with us. So we do a half day of classes and a half day of work duty. Um, those work duty hours, they can count as community service work because it is for a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. So that helps with their driver's license. Every single resident that has left our program is left with a driver's license. And I'll get into that in just a second. But um, we ought, we. First four to six months, that's what we do. We move them then to our Green County house. When they live at the Green County house, we um, take them back and we help them find a job, a stable job. We take them back and forth to work. They pay rent. They have a savings account. They have some money that goes in their pocket. By the time when they complete their eighth month, they can go to transition in Jonesboro or with us or safe housing for that last ninth month of outpatient. So that's something we kind of had to tweak out a little bit for the ninth month because. People were just finishing our program, and then some were going out to – and used again. Mm -hmm. And I want to really – I didn't want that to happen for them. Mm -hmm. Um, So we created that last 30 days to kind of do outpatient so you can be out on your own. Because remember I said that every 30 days after I got out of prison, Mm -hmm. then I used. So we give them that 30 days. We've had one resident. I extended 60 days on outpatient. She's done phenomenal. We give them that 30 days if something happens, they just come back home, you know, and then we help them and mm-hmm. get them invested to into a little bit more. And, um, mm-hmm. they can go to transition with us or they can go in Jonesboro. Um, every girl that leaves our program has stable housing or transition. And then, um, they have a, a car that they've paid for with cash. And so like a $2,000, $2,500 car, that way they don't have a car payment. Mm-hmm. And then, um, they have their driver's license. We have, we work with DHS, um, The DHS cases are my favorite. They are trying sometimes because of a mom loses her kids to um, DCFS or DHS. Mm -hmm. They usually wait until the last minute to get to a program to help them get their kids back. But remember I said in the beginning of this conversation that when you go down, you just keep spiraling downward Mm -hmm. because it just, you don't know how to get back up. You feel Mm -hmm. defeated. You feel traumatized. And then it just becomes a life cycle and, Mm-hmm. It turns out bad. So those are my favorite to do. They are really trying. We're driving people back and forth to meet their kids. And they get a few hours in an office with them. And and some of the workers will have them come out to our house and have their visits with them at the house. And that's a lot better for the mom and for the kids. That way they're not just in an office building. It's just kind of dreary being in an office building. Mm-hmm. For kids and moms that are yeah. already separated yeah. because then they leave, they're screaming, you know, I want my mom. So we really work on the moms. Um, another thing that we added, uh, we work with prosecutors and the judges and um, get everybody back and forth to court. Sometimes we don't have to. The judges or prosecutors will put that put their time off. We just send the monthly reports. Um, we are, we now are allowed to have people parole to us, which is we've been doing for about a year. Mm. Um, so we get a lot of calls from the prison and um, – which is different from re-entry because these people are actually leaving to go home, but they want to call, they hear about us, so they want to go somewhere that's actually going to help them. Um, and then, you know, the best thing, let me tell you this, the best thing about doing this program in His Wings is that we know nothing about these people when they come to us. They agreed in an interview that they will follow the rules and that they would, they would follow our lead to help them get better, do things better, and learn to live life differently and put Jesus first in their life. They agree to do that. Um, But we know nothing about them. Their family does. Their loved ones do. And they remember all of those terrible things that they've Mm. done. And we just try to tell them, you know, we teach them. You can tell your family, you know, that's in my past. I don't live like that anymore. That's not who I am. So you can carry the baggage if you want to, but I'm not willing to do that anymore. Mm. So we really try to press that into them. And then Mm. we talk to the family. But 366 days ago. I realized it was the anniversary yesterday. Um, Jarrett, my friend that I told you I started In His Wings with, we opened a substance use therapy counseling center in Jonesboro. So now In His Wings has a partnership with Revival Counseling, and we provide counseling service with two licensed counselors um, and CITS at our counseling center for our girls that come through our program. That's great. Yeah, trauma, family counseling, all of that, substance use therapy, all of that's happening now. So we're able to provide a large scheme. This is why um, it's why we get to do what we do. We, we love what we get to do. Not why we get to do what we do, but this is why we love what we get to do because we know that we are hitting every area that we can.
0: That's fantastic. You're truly yeah. making a difference, Jennifer. I mean, I didn't realize how much – Uh, Yeah, just how much was involved in what y'all were doing. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, just brings me a lot of happiness to think about kind of where you are now. Yeah. uh, As opposed to where you were when I first met you. Mm -hmm. And it's just awesome to see God's work in you and through you. And uh, I totally believe the best days are yet to come for you and and in His Wings Ministry. Thank you. I'm curious for those listening um, who are in addiction Mm -hmm. right now, what would you say to them?
1: I would say you don't have to live at the bottom of the pit anymore. I heard from a therapist one time that there were these two fish and they're swimming along. And this older fish comes by and the older fish says, hey, how's the water? And the two fish look at each other and they say, what is he talking about water? Mm -hmm. And that's where you're at in addiction. You're in the water and you've been there for so long like you don't have to live like that anymore there is a better life out there it is possible and you are worth it you are absolutely worth it no matter what anybody says you're worth it you can step out you can mm-hmm. call me anytime at the end it's wings our number's on the facebook page it's on the website i will include
0: it in the description here in the podcast too
1: yeah we, i'd love we'd love to talk to you and lead you if you can't get into our program we will we have so many contacts not just here in arkansas but in other states we have contacts that I usually just talk to the person as if I'm interviewing them for In His Wings. And then I think, you know, God, where do you want to send this person? Yeah. You know, some people don't want faith-based. They want something else. And we have those connections.
0: Sure. What would you say to the parent or brother or sister or just person listening to this that has a loved one that's in addiction? And maybe they're, I mean, you just know what all comes with that. What encouragement would you give to that person who's listening?
1: So I've been that person too. (laughs) I have been that person too, and I can say boundaries are good um, that when you stop enabling them and stop giving them things and cut them off from money, of course not food, they need to eat, um, but if you cut them off from the money and cut them off from giving the giving them the rides, um, they're going to hit a bottom, and they've got to hit a bottom mm. because um, you can either pay for a funeral or you can um, – have some sanity, and get your loved one into a program.
0: It's mm, good. Yeah. And I've seen that personally play out. You know, with one of our staff members said, you know, you're in the guy house with Brooke. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she would say in her story, that's 100% what had to happen. Her mm-hmm. dad was her enabler. And at one point she landed in jail for whatever the umpteenth time. He said, I'm mm-hmm. not bailing you out this time. And she said, I was so mad at him. Mm-hmm. But it was exactly what had to happen in order for me to turn the corner right and get over my addiction well there's so much more that we could talk about and we'll definitely have to have you on again to have uh just a further conversation around addiction and and all of these things I think it's such an important topic trauma even we haven't even had a chance to get into some of that but um why don't we go ahead and end today with some rapid fire questions these okay. are questions that we ask uh at the end of every single podcast and so <laughs> are you ready Okay. I'm bringing them your way. Ready mm-hmm. or not. Okay. Uh, what is the last movie or show you watched or the last book that you read?
1: Zechariah
0: 4. Okay. Look at <laughs> you, Christian. I know. <laughs> Come on. I don't man. Watch,
1: you know what? One thing about me, I don't watch TV. Ever? So, no, I've just is that never a been moral a moral decision. Or is no, you no. Just
0: not, okay. I've just, I'm just never it's been, been a thing. TV
1: watcher. I mean, I don't sit still long enough.
0: <laughs> that does not surprise <laughs> me. Uh, yeah,
1: I don't. Yeah. Do so How do
0: you mean, unwind?
1: I don't know. I do go to you? sleep.
0: Uh, you just like, you're burning at both the <laughs> ends and you just eventually pass out Yeah, and then do it again the next day. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite band?
1: Mm-hmm. I'm a Christian. Yeah, I know you are. <laughs> Yeah, my favorite is Maverick City, and Nobody Can Change My Mind. They're
0: good. They're good.
1: They can't change my mind They're really good.
0: You know who I've really gotten into just in the last 24 hours? Mm -hmm. Benjamin William Hastings, who used to be at Hillsong. He just released, I think, one of the best albums I've heard in a long, long time. Um, In the 80s, give me that one. What is your favorite band in the 80s?
1: Well, the only way I can – Duran Duran?
0: Duran Duran, okay. (laughs) So you're into like some pop, some pop punk stuff.
1: (laughs) I guess. Right on,
0: right on. Yeah, I like Duran Duran. She didn't say the Eagles. Yeah, that's good. I
1: almost said the Beach Boys. Like when you said that, I was already roller skating in my grandpa's garage.
0: You liked the Beach Boys.
1: (laughs) On the cassette tape, yes. Yeah, round,
0: round, (laughs) get around. I get around. Hey, (laughs) that was free for you, listeners. Yeah, yeah. Um, What is your favorite meal? Oh,
1: I love. Um, hibachi. I love, Acura, I love filet kimono. mignon. It's filet mignon. Like it doesn't matter where.
0: Okay. Filet then just beat hibachi. hmm Okay. Medium?
1: Medium to medium well. All
0: right. Yeah. Not well. All right. Right on. <laughs> what are you doing for your sides? You doing a little, uh.
1: I really like the rice and all that yum yum sauce. I mean, okay,
0: so you're talking about the filet with the hibachi then? Oh, yeah, yeah. I get, okay, now I'm with you.
1: Yeah, but I only like the broccoli and the mushrooms. I don't you want do not or do I do. Those are the only two vegetables I like.
0: Ah, you yeah, get that cauliflower out of here. Yeah. And, and uh, the, I ain't playing that game. Yeah. The onions. The,
1: yeah. Yeah, I don't like them when they're like, I like them on my hamburgers, but I don't like them. Mm-mm. Yeah. You wanna know a fun fact?
0: Uh, yeah, they, I really do.
1: Yeah, I've never eaten a tomato. Not a fun
0: fact. Not a not a super fun fact. Oh, uh, but but I, but um, I'm with you on that. Okay. I really like ketchup, and yeah. I do not like tomatoes. Yeah. My wife and I had a garden last year that was a 30 foot by 100 foot garden spot, and we grew how many do we have? I think 100 tomato plants.
1: Oh my! And
0: so I think we had like oh man, I don't know, probably three or four hundred pounds of tomatoes, which we sold at the farmers market, and I didn't eat one of them.
1: Uh huh. That's three yeah. of us.
0: You're not a fan either. Nope. Right I do like man. salsa though. I like salsa. <laughs> I like salsa. I like ketchup. I just do not like tomatoes. Um, <clears throat> what is on your nightstand right now?
1: A picture of me and my daughter. No lamp? Nope. Okay. Nope. Just a picture of me and my daughter. in my grandmother's little jewelry box that I used to pilfer as a child. <laughs> and yeah. Now my grandchildren pilfer that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it is super cool. Excellent. It's kind of fancy. It's like brass and ivory color. It's really cute.
0: That sounds fancy. Yeah. Um, give us a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy.
1: Ordin- What's ordinary mean?
0: Uh, like, uh, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm like, I do i like, I do feel like I probably should explain that to you because you have.
1: What is ordinary? Man, my life is so immersed in what I do. Um. Ordinary would be at the lake with my grandkids. It just would, you know, just somewhere with my grandkids where there's nobody else, just them being wild and loud and, um, mm. yeah.
0: Very cool. Last question. What is one thing right now that you're deeply grateful for?
1: My identity. Mm. In Christ. Yep, mm. it is. You know, I can tell you, I was going to tell you this a second ago, I'm thankful for my addiction because that I never been in addiction. I don't think I would ever know the life that I know now and mm-hmm. learn that and overcomers too.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But it's a true statement.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's one of the, I actually just, I have a, a spiritual director I meet with once a week mm-hmm. and I, we were just talking about the last four weeks of exercises that I've been doing. Um, and that's something that I've been clinging to in this season is the reality that like God really is cliche but like can take graves and turn them into a garden right like a- like ashes and the beauty that whole thing mm-hmm. like he truly does that like some of the stuff that not that we go looking for it but some of the most broken parts of our past like he's just it's what he does like he, he can brilliantly redeem those things mm-hmm. um, in ways that are bigger and better than we can ever imagine and and that's, I'm guessing, part of what you're so passionate about is you see that in people. I do. They don't see it themselves. Right. But, like, you see it. Like, I know you think it's hopeless. and I know you think you've done way too much. I'm telling you, like, you'll trust God. You'll surrender. Mm-hmm. Silence the ego. right? Yep. Like, it's amazing what he'll do. So, it's a good word for me to remember and for those yeah. who are listening. So, Jennifer. It's always a lot of fun spending spend time with you. Thankful for your laugh. Thank you for your ministry and all that you're doing. Thanks. So keep up the great work. Thank you. And Jennifer Tarwater has left the building. Uh, man, that was such an encouraging episode for me. Like I mentioned in the podcast, I remember when I first met Jennifer and she was in the Agape house and... Uh, And just to see where she is now and the things that she is doing, what she's given her life to are just such an encouragement to me. Yeah, I've heard a lot of really good things about her from the couple of ladies on our staff uh, who both know her. So it was a blessing uh, and exceeded expectations even being able to talk with her in person. Yeah, man. I feel like every time you come in to produce, we just have such a great episode. Like, what's that about? I attract winners, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I attract winners. Uh, when I put that down as a a quote Chris Collier quote Uh, hey if you're still listening thanks so much for tuning in Uh, we truly do this because of you we uh, love to celebrate the stories of the amazing people living here in Paragould and we hope that it's an encouragement to you like it is to us Um, if you've not already done so please check us out on our different social media platforms Uh, get on you know Facebook you can find us there Instagram and then if you've not done this go and find iTunes, give us a five-star rating. That helps people to find us more quickly and learn about the incredible people that are living right here in our community. So as always, thanks for listening. Until next time.